We heard it last Sunday with the reading of Dr. Seuss's The Lorax. The onceler said, and then I got mad. I got terribly mad. I yelled at the Lorax. Now listen here, Dad. All you do is yap, yap, and say bad, bad, bad. Well, I have my rights, sir, and I'm telling you, I intend to go on doing just what I do. And for your information, you Lorax, I'm figuring on biggering and biggering and biggering and biggering, turning more truffula trees into thneeds, which everyone, everyone, everyone needs. Which pretty accurately captures the logic of consumer capitalism, doesn't it? More, 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 bigger, better, faster, an inclined plane going up and up forever. But Dr. Seuss was clear about how that sort of progress ends. The Lorax says, let me say a few words about gluppity glup. Your machinery chugs on day and night without stop, making gluppity glup, also schloppity schlop. And what, you, what do you do with this leftover goo? I'll show you, you dirty old onceler you. You are glumping the pond where the humming fish hummed. Now more than they hum, their gills are all gummed. Now, besides glumping consumption, we also heard a lot this week about regressive political forces in our nation as we listened uh, to a whole bunch of white men inadvertently, perhaps, quoting the one slur, well, I have my rights, sir, and I'm telling you I intend to go on doing just what I do. And uh, today I want to consider how we got here and the way forward. It isn't merely a story of greed and patriarchy run amok. The current runs a whole lot deeper than that in Western society. We in the United States and in much of the Western world practice what I will call a religion of progress. And it's an unexamined religion of progress. That religion teaches that consumption leads to political and social freedom, inevitably. Progress is the easy answer to claims of injustice. We hear it all the time. Racial discrimination, we're making progress. Gender inequality, we're making progress. Growing economic inequality, we're making progress. Well, I say don't buy it. The religion of progress is a fiction. Always has been, always will be. Real progress is very difficult, hard work. I want to say very clearly at the outset that I'm not saying that progress isn't possible. I know that for many people the thought of progress is a source of hope. What I will attempt to do today is look closely at where the idea of progress as it is popularly understood came from and tease out what that concept as popularly understood really means. 
I will attempt to draw a distinction between progress that's based in magical thinking and progress that's based on rational assessment and hard work. The first thing to keep in mind about the religion of progress is that it's really a relatively new invention. It's about 250 years old, as the reading this morning mentions. Ancient peoples did not see the future as we now do in the Western world. In ancient literature, there are no writings about utopias or grand tomorrows or things getting better all the time. The text that comes closest to our modern concept of this is Plato's Republic, and it is not a utopian vision for a future of democracy and plenty. It is a blueprint for a totalitarian state. So, you know, what's up with that? Well, people before that 250-year-ago sort of thing didn't consider the future to be about progress. Some ancient peoples, such as the Hindus, thought that time would forever repeat itself in endless cycles. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good, but the cycles just go cycling along. Other peoples, such as the ancient Hebrews, believed that someday soon a very human political leader would set up a dynasty of righteous earthly rulers, the Messiah. But, as the Hebrew book Ecclesiastes puts it, there is nothing new under the sun. It just keeps cycling and cycling. Others, such as the Aztecs and the Christians, believed that a divine power would return to the earth and either fix it in human history time or take us all to heaven. But here's the thing about all those mythologies and many others in human history. None of them were ever something that you could quite literally bank on. However, the European vision of progress that developed at the beginning of the industrial era is very different. Suddenly, tomorrow became a truism. Soon, institutions began to borrow and loan huge amount of capital with the assumption that the economy would simply continue to, as the Lorax put it, gluppity glup and that the machinery of human progress would continue to chug on, quote, day and night without stop, making gluppity glup and also schloppity schlop. The assumption of the Western world has over these years been that the need for needs, as Dr. Seuss put it, would be endless, as would the natural resources that go into making them. And with all those free markets, somehow magically, we would just keep getting more and more socially and politically free. That's the religion of progress, and it's a fantasy. The idea of progress as we practice it nowadays comes from two European thinkers, Adam Smith, the Scottish moral philosopher Kelly read about this morning, who died in 1790, and G.W.F. Hegel, a German idealist philosopher who died in 1831. Adam Smith wrote of an invisible hand that guides the markets ever onward and upward. And Hegel saw human history as a supernatural power on the earth. Hegel said, quote, history is a conscious, self-mediating process. 
a conscious, self-mediating process, which sounds sort of mystical and supernatural, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, that's where the owl Minerva comes in. Hegel writes about the owl of Minerva sailing away into the twilight, dreaming the future progress of civilization. He also wrote the words, the night of possibility and the day of reality. But it's mysticism. Hegel gave us words that we still use today, Weltgeist, world spirit, Zeitgeist, spirit of the age, and perhaps most ominously, Folkgeist, the national spirit, spirit of the people, a concept that became central to Nazism in Germany and that has recently returned in populist nativist rhetoric. It was the idea behind the president's rhetoric at the United Nations last week, if you heard that. No, he doesn't know anything about Hegel, I assume, but <laughs> these things get dangerously out and unquestioned into our culture. As Hegel saw it, history is dialectical, as he called it. That is, two opposing forces exist in tension and eventually those two forces merge into a new synthesis, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. That is what causes the conscious self-mediating process of history, according to Hegel. Hegel's teaching became the European philosophical way of describing how progress works economically, politically, and socially. In the United States, we hear it in the phrase, the arc of the universe bending toward justice. That came from Unitarian minister Theodore Parker in the 19th century. He was a big fan of Hegel and Hegel's Weltgeist. That's how Parker saw God. This idea of an ever better future through the magical working of the Weltgeist, Zeitgeist, and Folkgeist melded with Adam Smith's belief in the invisible hand of the market to create our contemporary global economy and our national psyche. In fairness, I should say, neither of those guys are responsible for this. They would not have believed it, frankly. But unexamined assumptions have added up to that religion of progress, which is bad philosophy, bad sociology, bad political science, bad thinking, and it gives us unsupportable expectations of what happens next. The hubris of the religion of progress rings increasingly false in our shrinking world. You heard the laughter at the UN at our president's remarks. It's just a joke. Still, the universalizing hope that all human beings will someday live lives of freedom and self-determination, that comes from Hegel as well. And I would say that's the good idea he had. That remains the liberal vision of a better future. The question is, is it possible without magical thinking? Can humanity actually get there as our climate and our political rhetoric keeps heating up? Now, I think the answer is maybe, but not by going down the path of the religion of progress that we have been doing for two and a half centuries. That's only magical thinking. Like too many religions, the religion of progress is about feelings, not about evidence. 
It's about personal gain without any responsibility. For example, we've been hearing a lot in the past few days about how the latest Senate hearing on the Supreme Court nominee is a whole lot like the Clarence Thomas hearing a generation ago. Haven't we made progress, say the baffled commentators? Some. Thanks, Minnesota, for having a woman in the room as a senator, right? Way to go. Yeah. But despite a generation in terms of time, the same generation and the same gender was the majority in that room. And that's why there wasn't any progress. All right? I'm glad that a few women are deciding to run for political office now, based on all of this. Maybe hard work will lead to some political process, but it doesn't happen magically. One of our challenges as human beings is that our living memory is so darn short. You're lucky if uh, you can, you know, have 90 years of memory. Few of us get there. 100 years, about the max, huh? We have short memories as human beings, and so we have to depend on history, which often is written with some political spin to it. It's very difficult to figure out what actually happened just a few years ago. For example, most people know that the first victims of the Nazis were political opponents, and then institutionalized people, and then gay people. But have you really thought about that? Now, political party is easy to figure out. They've got your address. That's not difficult. They don't, didn't even have to hack Facebook to figure that one out. Now, people in beds and institutions, that's easy to find. But how did they find thousands of gay people to round up and put in concentration camps? Have you thought about that? And reflect that, OK, if the FBI had decided in 1933 to, to round up all the gay people in America, they wouldn't have found very many, would they? Maybe a few hundred, because it was illegal in the US. But why were the Nazis, how were they able to do this? Well, it's because progress is not linear. The Weimar Republic, which was the German government after the First World War that Hitler destroyed in 1933, was a very progressive and tolerant government. People came out during the Weimar Republic period because there was great social progress. Sometime do some reading about the German expatriates who came to the U.S. in the 1930s. During the Second World War, U.S. government officials kept asking German refugees to say how free and open American society was, and very few of them would do that. How come? Sure, it's great not to be thrown into a concentration camp. They all understood that. But as they saw it, the move to the US was offering them closets, not freedom. Gender closets, sexuality closets, artistic closets, intellectual closets, things they could not do and could not say. Then there was the fact that the German Jews who came here had been listening to a bunch of white people talking about their racial superiority all the time. And then they got here and they looked at the condition of African Americans in the United States, and they heard a bunch of white people talking about racial superiority all the time. And they thought, hmm, 
How is that different? And German Jews weren't having any part of that, and most Americans at the time were utterly baffled. Those ungrateful immigrants, why don't they say how great we are? Well, we forget that they knew progress that we had not yet achieved. Now, progress isn't easy, but we are one of the few, if not the only, animals capable of envisioning things that are not now the case. We're capable of rewriting our stories, of rethinking our metaphors, and changing the direction we're going. For example, in your order of service this morning is a quote from Dr. Kate Rayworth, a British economist, who argues that the ever-rising incline of that typical assumption of traditional economic growth leads to disaster. The reading this morning is from that book, thanks Kelly. Rayworth proposes that we should see the economy as a donut, not an inclined plane. Metaphors matter. In her book, Donut Economics, Rayworth argues that essential human needs must always be bounded by the limits of our planet. That's the outside of the donut, the limits of the planet. And the inside of the donut is a healthy economy that meets the needs of all of the planet's people. She says a healthy economy should be designed to thrive not grow. Now the Lorax, I think, would approve of that one, right? Rayworth is part of a growing movement among economists who question the magical thinking of that religion of progress, calling their ideas post-growth, post-growth. In post-growth economics, we have begun to look at not only progress and growth, but also the needs of the people and the planet as a whole as a complex system. As Dr. Rayworth puts it, quote, economics, it turns out, is not a matter of discovering laws. It is essentially a question of design. A question of design, not laws. Rayworth goes on to say, quote, the last 200 years of our industrial activity have been based upon a linear industrial system whose design is inherently degenerative. The essence of that industrial system is the cradle-to-grave manufacturing supply chain of take, make, use, lose, extract the Earth's minerals, metals, biomass, and fossil fuels, manufacture them into products, sell those on the, to, on to consumers who probably, sooner rather than later, will throw them away. And she does put away into air quotes because they don't go anywhere except into and onto the planet, don't they? We throw it into and onto the earth and onto the shoulders of future generations who are going to have to try to survive on our planet among all of our gluppity glup and schloppity schlop. These are new voices in the economic discussion. They are new ways of seeing. They are new faces in the room and at the table who can think differently with different metaphors. Yes, 
There has been a lot of progress in human history. I, I, for one, would not be alive here this morning without a lot of really cool medicine and science. I suspect some of you are the same way. But no, Hegel didn't describe history as it actually works. There's nothing dark or mysterious or magical or flying owls about it. It's about clear vision, evidence, experience, and hard work. That's how progress occurs. Economic and environmental progress will occur when we stop the magical thinking and see it for what it actually is. Social progress occurs with the slow slog of voting out the white supremacists and the patriarchal power and getting different faces around that table and into those Senate hearings. It's difficult, it's dispiriting a lot of the time. It's slow, difficult work. And also, it doesn't go like that inclined plane. It ebbs and it flows, unfortunately. And it can all be taken away in a snap. Just ask those German immigrants. It can all be taken away in a snap if we don't keep our eyes open. This is the challenge for people who want to make real progress and a real difference in the world.